0: in the life of the church's history for 2,000 years. Now, 36 years ago, Patty and I were um, traveling with our youth group. We were youth pastors in Fort McMurray, Alberta, and we were traveling on a chartered bus from Fort McMurray to Fort St. John. And you know, you have to kind of come down and then go back up, so it's an 11-hour bus ride. That's a long trip to take a youth group on, and I brought some uh, young, I brought adult sponsors with me, and we joined the, the youth group there in Fort St. John, and we had a joint service. And God moved on that weekend in a way that I've never seen him do before or since. And I believe that God wants to do these kinds of things, and God is opening, you know, open to do this kind of stuff in our lives. But it was so profound. We were on the bus. We had a girl that had, a, a, you know, she'd get migraines, and when they came, they lasted four days. She had one starting on the chartered bus. I had the young people praying. Within 30 minutes, the migraine was gone. Uh, that was just the beginning of the trip. You have a sense that God's about to do some powerful things when things like that start happening. That night, uh, we rolled into Fort St. John and I spoke. And then it was a Saturday. We had meetings all day Saturday. Saturday night, I spoke on this topic. And we must have had 80, 90 uh, young people there. There's probably maybe 20 adults. There's probably about 110, 120 people there. And God's Spirit came down in a supernatural way. Kids were getting filled with the Spirit. Uh, they didn't even what was going on? They, they actually prayed for five hours. I had to finally tell them we have church Sunday morning and we're leaving after the two morning services, so we're going to have to shut this off. It was like one o'clock in the morning. I mean, God's spirit was moving so powerfully. Kids were praying for each other, weeping, confessing sins. I mean, uh, gifts of the spirit were becoming manifested in our midst. And then all of a sudden, the next morning in the services, people gave their lives to Christ. Uh, It was such a supernaturally heightened uh, and intense weekend. We got on the bus, and people were actually weeping on the bus for 11 hours. The Spirit of God was so powerful in the lives of these students and the adults' lives. We got home to Fort McMurray, and to let you know that this was not just an emotional experience, Kids' lives were changed. Parents were talking to me as the youth pastor, what's going on in my kid's life? I got up, I saw the light on this morning. They were, they were in their room. I could hear them praying. They were reading their Bible. Something supernatural happened in their lives. And so uh, the pastor came to me and he said, you know, in the next few weeks, we want, we want the youth group to share a little bit of their experience, what happened in Fort St. John. And I asked the youth group, because, you know, you, teenagers don't always want to talk in front of adults. I'll just tell you that right up front. I said, I have no idea who's going to talk, and so I asked the youth, how many of you want to share, and 32 of them said they wanted to share their experience with God, and that night, it was another powerful night in our own church, and uh, God's spirit was really moving, and I want to just talk a little bit about what God really wants to accomplish in our lives this morning. As I've already mentioned, today in the church calendar is the day of Pentecost, and so it, it means simply this, that it was a Jewish festival of ingathering in of the harvest. That's the, what the Pentecost festival was about. And, you know, 50 days after Christ's death and resurrection, you know, the disciples were waiting in an upper room, praying and crying out to God for... 10 days and all of a sudden the Spirit of God came on them. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power or clothed with power from on high. And I want to just point out what starts happening in their lives. I want to look at this issue when the Spirit of God comes and endues us or clothes us with power. And there's a lot of controversy in the church over what does this expression mean, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Some people believe that when you become a Christian, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's, that's where a lot of Christians think. And So that's it for them. But yet there are others of us who say, no, we believe that this is an experience that happens over and over again. You can, you, know, you can use the word baptism, we can use that word once, but God is calling us to be people that are constantly being filled with the Spirit of God and that we can have an experience with the Holy Spirit that can change us from what we once were to what God has purposed and designed for us to become as individuals. So, uh, when we take a look at this, Gordon Fee says it this way that the Holy Spirit is empowering believers for life with an openness to the gifts and the miraculous. Plus obedience to mission. That's really the work of the Spirit today, making Christ more real to us and empowering us so that there's an openness to the Spirit's work in our lives through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are some Christians today who believe that the gifts of the Spirit ceased after the Bible became canonized. But I'm not convinced that that's a good biblical picture, and I'm not going to argue all the reasons for it. There are biblical reasons, I think, that suggest that that may not be the best way of looking at it. So what is this baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well... As we look through the peruse, we peruse through the New Testament, it suggests that there was a dynamic power at work in the lives of the early church that impacted the culture around now. How many, when you're reading the book of Acts, how many have actually read this book before, the book of Acts? Just raise your hand. I'm just curious. How many have read it? Oh, a lot of you. How many take a look and say there was something dynamic in the life of the believers that that was not there before? You know, like the disciples, you know, were actually hiding in fear from the Jews after Jesus' death and resurrection. But afterwards, there's a huge, empowering, dynamic presence in their lives. And you can see that these guys are courageous, and they're doing things that they certainly were not doing to the same degree as they were doing it earlier. So I think some people have tried to uh, understand that you know, this, this experience you know, is actually, there's, there's a kind of a discussion, theological discussion in the church. Some say, well, this happened when you first become a Christian, and others say, no, this is a subsequential experience, and so I would argue that it's an experience that God wants to continually do in our lives. Now, I want to move along here and just say this. John the Baptist, when he came along, what was he preaching? He was preaching repent, kind of get right with God, right? That was... Uh, there, there is a work, I believe, beyond conversion that we need to experience in our lives. And John basically says the essence of the difference between his ministry and that of Jesus. Look at what it says. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes the one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Oh, well, that's an inter- interesting statement. And by the way, did that happen on the day of Pentecost? In Acts chapter 2, let's just take a look here. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So something supernatural happened. I'm going to say that's, that was a supernatural event, Right? And nobody's going to disagree with this. Not one Christian reading the Bible would say that's not supernatural. They'd all agree with that. You know, where the difference is, is can that be our experience today? See, there's the big difference. And I'm arguing that, yes, it can be our experience, that we can have this amazing, powerful experience with the Holy Spirit that will bring about a transformation in our lives and help us to become more than what we were before. And that's the part that I think is so exciting. Now, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, uh, he's a Reformed theologian, okay. And what that really means is he's very traditional, and he would not be classified as a Pentecostal, okay. But he wrote a book, which was really a series of sermons he preached in 1959. And he was preaching about a revival that happened in Wales in 1859. So it was the 100th anniversary. Being a Welshman, Lloyd-Jones wanted to challenge his congregation in London with the experience of the Holy Spirit and how it brings about change in people's lives. And began to talk about the amazing uh, phenomena that happened in Wales. And I mean supernatural phenomena So here's what he said, perhaps the greatest danger of all for Christian people is the danger of understanding the scripture in light of our experiences. Now That's interesting. He's saying a lot of times we read the Bible and we look at our experience and then we interpret the Bible based on what we've experienced. He's saying that's a danger. Shouldn't do that. He says, we should not interpret Scripture in light of our experiences, but we should examine our experiences in light of Scripture. In other words, here's my experience, and here's what I'm reading in the Bible. Why is there a difference? We should be questioning. If I'm not experiencing what I'm reading, what, why isn't that happening? That's what he's suggesting to us by stating this. And then he goes on to say, he saw two extremes. He said the first danger is that of claiming things which go beyond the scriptures of which indeed there may even, may, may even be contrary to scripture. And then he says, well, that's what fanaticism is. And sometimes people will do that, get so carried away. And I've, I've been around this where people have gotten so carried away they've moved into fanaticism where they're, where they're saying things and doing things that the scriptures don't support. Okay, that's one danger. But let me go on. He says the second danger, though, is the opposite. It's being satisfied with something very much less than what is offered in the Scripture and the danger of interpreting Scripture by experiences and reducing its teaching to the level of what we know and experience. In other words, we're just bringing everything down to what we're living at. He's saying that's another danger. And he said, as a matter of fact, that's probably the greater danger because he said, by nature, as human beings, we're a little afraid of the supernatural. Does anybody know that? You know, I'll argue this until I'm blue in the face. If you and I were at home tonight laying down and we wake up and an angel appears to us, believe me, you will have goosebumps on your goosebumps. You know, and you say, well, why do you know that, Pastor? Because every time an angel shows up in the Bible, the first words out of their mouth is what? Fear not. That just tells me they have to say those words because it scares the bejeebers out of people. (laughs) right? It kind of breaks into our world and we go, whoa, I'm not ready for this, you know? And so, so often as Christians, we're we're living in the natural realm, but if we ever have a breakthrough into the supernatural realm, it does scare the bejeebers right out of us. I'm going to tell you that. And the story that Mark read of the servant of Elisha, you know, he was terrified because an army had surrounded the city, but Elisha was seeing an army around that army, and it was the army of the living God. That's powerful stuff. So I'm gonna argue today, just like there are microwaves coming through here, there are FM waves coming through here, there are air, AM waves coming through here. You no, know one I'm talking about, television waves? Electronic waves are zipping through this building. I want you to know there are supernatural waves coming through the building this morning, but many times we're not even locked into it, and until you have a receiver, you just don't pick up the radio signals or the television signals, and I want to declare to you this morning that there is spiritual signals coming right on through the building this morning. We've got, Lord, help me to receive. What's going on inside here? Because I'm on this level right now. I need to tune in, and it's there. He says, we may be so afraid of disorder or so concerned about discipline or decorum and control that we become guilty of quenching the spirit. Look at the New Testament church. What do you see? Spiritual vibrancy. That's what you notice when you read the Bible. They're alive. There's powerful things going on. And it always in life, life tends to create excesses. That's just the nature of life people get extreme. There's no problem, he says, of discipline, sorry, in the graveyard. How many know there's no problem there, right? You don't have problems with, you know, we used to live next to the graveyard in Fort McMurray. I never had problems with those neighbors. They never created one bit of grief, right? Because they're dead. It's the living people that create the problems. Isn't that true? Yeah. Right. He says, and there's very little problem in a formal church. You know, a lot of people want to be in a place where everything's under control. I want to be in a place where God is in control. And when there's God's in control, there's life, and sometimes things happen that are a little bit beyond what you really want to see happen, but you can always correct that. But getting things to life is a whole new ballgame. That's a lot harder to do, and that's what he's talking about. He said... A poor, sick child is not difficult to handle, but when that child is well and full of life and vigor, well, then you have a few disciplinary issues. That's the way it works. Problems are created by that. Problems arise because of the danger of going into excess. So when we go back to the scriptures, we look at the day of Pentecost, we're gonna see this amazing transformation that comes into the lives of the disciples. So I wanna look at three powerful truths regarding Pentecost, and the first is that this empowerment is promised by God. He told them this was going to happen. He says in chapter 1, and verse 4, 5, and 8, he says, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8 says, and you're going to receive power. You're going to receive dunamis, power. Do you know the In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit and power are almost interchangeable terms. It's really neat. God is a powerful God. And you will be my witnesses. Now, you know, what I noticed today is most Christians are afraid to say anything. Isn't that true? We're afraid to offend people. How many know this culture is hypersensitive? Anybody know that? Everybody's offended by everything. Can I tell you, if you're really living the Christian life, you will not only offend people, they will begin to persecute you. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? I've read the New Testament. You cannot read the New Testament and not realize that when you're full of the Holy Ghost, the spirit of Antichrist is going to come against the spirit of Christ. And that's why it says in the Bible that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if I have no persecution, I have to ask myself, is there any life in me? Is there any of the life of Christ in me? Because the more I bubble up with the spirit of God, the more people get alienated. I remember working in the restaurant and this one—you know people were getting convicted. I mean, I was just vibrant with the life of Christ and I was sharing my faith. See, as long as you're bubbling but not sharing, you don't bug anybody. The moment you spill over and start talking about these things, now nah, that creates a whole new set of problems. And one of the guys said to me, why can't you be like so much so? She never talks about her faith. I'm going, well, that's a problem in my mind. <laughs> you know. But you know what the neat thing was? Because I kept sharing with this guy for two years, he finally got saved. I'm, I'm sure after he got saved, he says, I'm so glad you were sharing with me and not saying nothing. See, we think we're just amazing Christians because we are just living the life past. We never say anything. But who gets the credit for that? We do. You're such a wonderful person. You get told that all the time. Listen, if you're vibrant with spiritual life and you're sharing, some people are gonna get a little bit ticked off at you. See, we don't want that. We want everyone to like us. My problem is, I want Jesus to like me more. And I know that if I am pleasing him, there's gonna be some people not happy with me. That's the truth. You know, Peter now is preaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And listen, you know, think about Peter. Earlier, they're locked into the upper room for fear of the Jews. I have a text here. I'll find it. It'll come up here yet. But but Peter gets up there, and he's preaching. What does it say? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's a good word for conviction. They felt bad about the things they had done wrong, okay? Hey, it's okay to feel bad about when you do wrong things. That's a good thing. That means you got something happening in your life. And he said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. By the way, is that an important element? Yes, it is. And every Christian, every person that's given their life to Christ receives the Holy Spirit. What I am talking about is being full of the Spirit. See, the word baptized means you're going to be immersed. We're going to do that today. We're going to immerse people in water. I'm talking about Jesus coming along and immersing us in the Holy Spirit. How many would say, I'm up for an immersion of the Holy Spirit today? I'll let Jesus baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I want it. I want what he's got for us. And he said, this promise is for you and your children and to all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call You know, it's interesting. Gordon Fee is a Pentecostal theologian. He says, For most Christians in the history of the church, the Spirit was believed in but scarcely experienced as a powerful presence. Either in the individual life or in the community, there grew up the idea that the Spirit was a quiet and unobtrusive presence. That's what people believe. If you're really godly, you'll be really gentle and quiet. See? For the earliest Christians, it was quite the opposite. The Spirit was always thought of as a powerful presence. Read the book of Acts and show me how quiet the Holy Spirit is. Please do that. I'd like to see that. I don't get that impression at all. I get the impression these guys are preaching and everyone's telling them to shut up. That's what they're telling them. And you know, there was a guy in Canada here just this past week or two who was preaching in the streets of Toronto and now is in jail because he was preaching the gospel. You could say all kinds of filthy things in our cities and nobody would do anything about it, but if you're preaching about Jesus, you're going to get in trouble. Do you see there's something going on here, folks? Can you guys understand there's a spiritual dimension at work here? We're, not, we're wrestling not with people, with laws. We're wrestling with spiritual powers and darkness who are trying to suppress the church from speaking the good news about Jesus Christ. Yeah. And for a lot of us, we're going, well, that's not my thing, Pastor. I'm a real shy person. I'm gonna tell you something. If the Holy Ghost comes on you, you're gonna be changed. I'm guaranteeing this. You get full of the Holy Ghost and you're, people go, what got into you? The Holy Ghost did. And he's got something to say. See, when you're full of the Holy Ghost, you will be my what? My witnesses. You will speak what you are experiencing. Let me move on to the second powerful truth. What it produces in our lives. It's promised, now it produces. It gives a person boldness. We end up speaking with moral courage. You know, I'm really convinced that what's lacking today is moral courage. Come on now. Think about what I'm saying. Moral courage. The, The disciples, they're just ordinary people. Listen to what it says. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, they were fearful. How many see it? They're just Peter, James, John. These guys are hanging together. Jesus had just been arrested. he just been crucified. They think the Romans are going to come. They're going to be killed. They're scared. Okay, everybody get that? 50 days later, after praying for 10 days and the Holy Ghost comes on them, these guys are like lions. They're out in the middle of the city preaching their hearts out and going... Whatever comes our way. Bible says in Acts chapter 3, as they're going on their way to prayer, man was there, lame from birth. He was probably in his 30s, 40 years old. And Peter and John came along. The man's begging for money. Peter and John, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise and walk. Picked him up by the hand. The man started walking and leaping and praising God. How many know that got everyone's attention? Peter started preaching to them. He says, you think it's by some power or holiness in our life? No, this happened because of what Jesus Christ did by dying and raising from the dead. And that same spirit that was raising Jesus from the dead is living now and is now seeing this power manifest in this man's life. And the Bible says 5,000 were added to the church. Do you realize how threatening that was to the establishment of that day? They drugged Peter and John before them. They said, we do not want you preaching or teaching in the name of Jesus. And they beat them up and sent them on their way. And you know what they said? We're quitting the ministry. It's too difficult. (laughs) didn't say that in my Bible. It says they went to their group. They began to pray. And here's their prayer. They said, sovereign God, you're the one that controls everything. You know what we're going to do? We're praying right now that you're going to do more of these heavy-duty miracles so that your name may be more manifested in our community. And these guys just kept going. I'm telling you, they had the whole city in a stir. People were coming to faith in Christ. Their leaders were beside themselves not knowing what to do. One guy stood up and said, if you kill these guys, you're going to have a big problem on your hands because if these guys are empowered by the Spirit of God, you will not be able to win because no one that fights against God will ever win. These guys were empowered by the Spirit of God. I've, I've shared all of this. Isn't that good? Just... <laughs> Gospel came in power. Not only did the Holy Spirit empower them to speak boldly and fearlessly in Christ's name, they were witnesses of supernatural things happening. You know, what my prayer's been lately God bring the supernatural to us. I'm praying for healings, I'm praying for miracles. I'm praying for, you know, every person that becomes a Christian, that's a miracle of big magnitude. That's raising someone from spiritually dead. Now they're spiritually alive. That means bursting through all the prejudice and junk that people's brains have been saturated with and coming to the knowledge of the truth. That's a miracle, folks. I'm praying for all kinds of miracles. I'm saying, Lord, just break out in our city. Man, we've got all kinds of problems. We've got people who are addicted to drugs everywhere. We're talking about, you know, trying to fix this and fix that. How many know that when you have an encounter with the Holy Ghost, he can change your desires. He can deliver you from addiction. He can deliver you from the kingdom of satan and put you into the kingdom of almighty god we either believe this or we don't believe it i believe it i've witnessed it i've experienced it and i watch it happen in other people's lives the gospel came in power in acts chapter 5 it says the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people and all the people gathered together in solomon's colonnade And having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Well, they were guilty of this man's blood. That's why. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, he always threatens the status quo. He'll rock our world. He'll flip us right side up, you know? It's powerful what happens. You know what I like? I, I like the fact that when the Spirit of God comes, he revives the church. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this in his book on revival. He says, the difference between the baptism and the Holy Spirit and a revival is simply one of the number of people affected. He says, I would define a revival as a large number, a group of people being baptized by the Holy Spirit at the same time, or the Holy Spirit falling upon them, or coming upon a number of people assembled together. In other words, what is he saying is, when this happens in a a large setting, it becomes dynamic. I mean, it can happen to you as an individual, but when it happens to us as a group, man, look out. How many know, because it's gonna be so dynamic. You know, it's so powerful. That's what he's talking about. Let me move on to the... Well, I like the statement, he says, it is a truism to say that every revival of religion is in a sense but a repetition of Pentecost. You see, what happens is, and this is, I've watched this. I've studied history, I've studied church history. I look at my own life. I look at the life of other people. Do you know, we we can get so excited about God, but how many here can honestly say that there have been moments you've had low points in your Christian life, kind of, you know? Anybody have those moments? Just like low points. But then the Spirit of God comes, and what does He do? He revives you. Isn't that great? And then you have a high point again. And you know, sometimes the church gets such a low point, and then we start accommodating the culture. You know what I mean? We're afraid to rock the boat. We don't want to make anybody think less of us. We're trying to fit in, we're trying to survive, we're trying to thrive in this culture. So don't rock the boat. And how many know that meanwhile, the culture is just kind of perishing? It's just rotting in front of our eyes. You know, and then all of a sudden, the church is following the culture. Isn't that amazing? Eh, we're just going down. They're, we're going right behind them. We're just following him into the cesspool. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes, okay, I've got to step in here again. You know, and what does he do? He sends his Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, Poof! It's almost like you know that that uh, you know you're, you're 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 having a heart attack and you're you're about ready to expire and all of a sudden they take those what do you call it those those pads? Pow! You know, toong, You know, this great shock to the system. Boom! The heart starts beating again. You know what I'm talking about? You see, that's kind of what revival is. God is now reviving something that was alive, but it looks like it's about to die, and He comes along and He sends His Holy Ghost. Boom! And all of a sudden, people just come on fire. You see, John says, I'm going to preach this baptism of repentance, but when he comes, you will. he's going to give you the spirit with fire. You know, you think about what fire does. What does fire do? It purges things, doesn't it? It destroys what's hindering us from being the kind of person we need to be. And I love that statement. You go, man, that person is on fire. You know? <laughs> And you ever been around a Christian who's on fire? You know? And ever, all the other Christians running around the water. Gotta put them out, you know. <laughs> Let's put them out, man. He's, he's making us look bad. Or else he's gonna cause trouble for us. You know, he's he's on fire. You know? <laughs> Would to God the church was on fire, you know. Because yeah. you know, people are attracted to reality in authenticity, and they long for this, you know? Well, let me move on to the third truth. (laughs) It's prepared by certain conditions, okay? So Holy Spirit is promised. It produces boldness and courage. You ever thought about David for a minute? Why did he run up to that giant and everybody else was afraid? Because at that moment, David was full of the Holy Ghost, You see, you and I look, oh, it's David. No, it was once Samuel poured that oil and anointed him, and David now had the Spirit of God come on him, and that's why he could beat up the lion, that's why he could beat up the bear, that's why he could beat up the giant. You see, when you and I are full of the Holy Ghost, you and I can begin to do things we never could do before. How many say, I'm in for this? I want God to do that work in my soul that he so changes me that I become more than I've ever been before. I become more godly. I become more Christ-like. I become more empowered by his spirit. I have a greater courage and boldness. When people come up to me and try to intimidate and rock my world, something rises up within me. I just take my stand. I just love them, but I just speak the truth in love to them. I don't back down. And you know what I notice about evil? Evil is a bully. And the only way you can defeat a bully is to stand up to it. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians that we're to stand when the evil hour comes. We're to stand and see the salvation of our God. Well, something inside of us starts, something happens inside of us. We desire God to start working in our life. That's a work of the Spirit, by the way. He's, now he's percolating, you know, When the moment you you get to this place where there's that longing, that desire, that's born of God, that's creating a condition for the Spirit of God to come into our lives. You know, you think about the prophet uh, Isaiah. He's a priest. He's in the temple. He's he's a, a prophet. And all of a sudden, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I saw the train filling the temple. Hey, the supernatural broke into his life. And the first words out of his mouth were, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, when real revival comes, the first thing that will happen to you and happen to me is that we'll begin to see things in our lives that are not so good. What we'll begin to see is all of the impediments that are keeping us from becoming the person that God wants us to become. The first thing we start noticing is we're getting convicted over things that other people think is normal. We're just saying, I can't do that anymore. That's not pleasing to my Lord and Savior. And we begin to repent. We turn our face towards God. And all of a sudden, there's less of us. And there becomes more Him. Something happens. All of a sudden, our desires change. Isn't it amazing? You know, before I was a Christian, I had no desire to go to church. I never blamed non-Christians for not wanting to go to church. Why would you want to go to church? This is boring for them. But the moment I gave my life to Jesus, man, I could hardly wait. I loved it when the pastor opened the book and started preaching the word and the spirit of God started speaking into my soul and I just felt God dealing with things in my life. I'm going, yeah, bring it on. I never got mad. I just started getting convicted. I started repenting. I I said to Patty, you know, when my pastor died, I'd been under his ministry for about a year and a half and then I went to Bible school and I came back when he passed away. I said, when this guy speaks, Patty, I cry. Every time, I was so broken. I mean, it was the Spirit of God. It was just such an anointing, you know? And it was amazing to me how other people could sit in that same church and nothing happened to them. There could be people in that church that got so full of grumbling and complaining and criticism, and meanwhile, I was just weeping. You see, the condition of our heart is what it's all about. And when the Spirit of God is at work in our hearts, something happens to us. We're connecting to God. A lot of us, you know, we're so locked into this world and we're so caught up in our agenda and our plans and how things should work out. But when the Spirit of God comes, all of those things take a back seat. They just start moving backwards. All of a sudden, you go, I just want more God. I just want to do God's will. I can still remember a sermon that my pastor preached, you know, calling us to fully surrender our lives to Christ. And everybody else left and I came forward. left the sanctuary. I just stayed. I knelt down and I began weeping, weeping uncontrollably for a half hour. And I said, God, here's my life. I'm not a lot, but I'm going to give you everything I've got for the rest of my life. You know, God takes that to heart. You know, he wants to change us. He wants us to make us more than what we were before. But it takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It's initiated by God. Holy Spirit comes to them suddenly. And in my limited understanding of the Holy Spirit coming in power and revival, there just seems to be certain conditions that I've read about. You know, I've I've read pretty extensively on this topic. The general characteristics of conditions prior to revival seem to be a season of great moral decline and a disinterest in the things of God. The general condition of the church is confessed as being spiritually apathetic and indifferent. Idolatry or the substitute for God is prevalent. And it goes something like this. If God isn't the chief longing of my soul, and if I have so many other interests in life, all those little things become idols. Anything I put ahead of God is an idol. Anything. I've noticed Christians put family ahead of God. They put hockey ahead of God. They put all kinds of things ahead of God. Making money, work, security, all kinds of stuff. But in the end, all of those things that are hopefully promising some sort of happiness and satisfaction never materializes. We need to put God first. See, God will start dealing with you when you're in a state of revival. The condition in society seems to be reflected in the church. Isn't that amazing? There's so much accommodation that a lot of the attitudes in Christian people, it sounds just like the world. If you listen to their conversation, it's just echoing what the culture's saying. Do you think God is agreeing with where our culture's at? Not one iota. And you know something? We think, as a culture, that discipline is a negative thing. We really do. I want to tell you right now, the Bible says God disciplines every child he loves, and that discipline is an expression of love. And if you've never been disciplined, you've never been loved. Wow. And this is the culture we're living in. We don't tell anybody they're doing anything wrong. We don't discipline anybody for anything. We are becoming one of the most undisciplined cultures, and we're moving into a state of anarchy. That's where we're at. We think freedom means I'm gonna make my own decisions, I'm calling my own shots, actually, we're in, we're in rebellion against Almighty God. There's only one authority, folks, and that's God himself and his word. We need to submit to that. But let me just close here. you know what God does to get us to this point of revival? Well, move on. I could say a lot. Move past. God says, I'm gonna allure, allure her. This was Israel, and she was backslidden. I'm gonna lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. By the way, the desert... Two is positive and negative. In the desert, everything's stripped away. But in the desert, God reveals himself to you. How many can honestly say that in the hardest moments of your life, that's when God has spoken the loudest? He strips everything away. That's what he said he was going to do to the nation of Israel. Um. Uh, he says, you can have hardly ever find in, in all the history of revival that the church suddenly in one move, as it were, or in one step, passes from her condition of lifelessness and almost morbid state into a condition of mighty power and revival and influence. No, there are genuinely particular steps and stages. And it always comes down to a recognition of the true condition of our heart and secondly, a desire for God's glory a desire for God and his glory. Let me close with a story because I've only got less than a minute. American evangelist D.L. Moody, this is before the Pentecostal outpouring in the 20th century. D.L. Moody basically was coming to an end at that point. And he was a minister. He got saved and then he, was, he had a heart for evangelism and he's one of the starters of the YMCA. You ever heard of that organization? You know, Young Men's Christian Association, that's what it stands for. A lot of people don't know a lot of history, but that's what it's about. And in Chicago, he was bringing all these young people, kids, sharing the gospel with them, and they were becoming Christians. But Moody realized there was powerlessness in his life, and then he said he just kept crying out to God. He wanted a greater blessing. The hunger for God continued to intensify in his heart, and he really felt that I did, he said, I was at a stage where I just didn't want to go on anymore. I had been a Christian, but I kept saying, God, I just need more of you in my life. And I kept on crying all the time that God, he said, would fill me with the Spirit. And then one day in the city of New York, and what a day, I cannot describe, but I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred of an experience to name. He said, I was so overwhelmed. He felt as if he was gonna be physically crushed. The love of God, that is what is meant by the love of God being shed or brought in your hearts. That's the baptism of the Spirit. That is what D.L. Moody, from a good, regular, ordinary minister into the evangelist that God so significantly used in the United States and around the world. It's, it's really amazing what happens when God can really fully get a hold of a life. It's amazing the kind of things God can do. See, we're always looking at ourselves. That's problematic. We're all problems. God goes, no, I can take the weakest vessel and use them for my glory. As a matter of fact, the weaker, the better. You know why? Because when God starts to work through a weak vessel, everyone goes, it can't be that person. It has to be God. See, when they looked at Peter and John, you know what they noticed? They were unschooled, but they'd been with Jesus. They understood the only reason they're like this is because they'd been with Jesus. What a powerful thing. Let's stand So tonight, I'm going to pray a general prayer, but if you want special prayer tonight, I'm going to pray tonight because we're going to have guests here. I'm going to preach this sermon. I'm going to go into overtime tonight, okay? I'm just warning you. A few minutes of overtime, we're going to pray for as many people that want to receive another experience with the Holy Spirit. We're going to lay hands. So altar workers, you need to come back tonight. If you want to pray for people to be filled with the Spirit, you come tonight. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to do a mighty work. I'm going to pray generally right now, but we're going to pray very specifically tonight, okay? How many here say, you know what? I need God to do a deeper work in my life. I need God. Just raise your hand. That's you. I need God to do. See, my hand is up. I I want to go to another level with God. I think there are other levels to go to. I'm just saying, God, I want you to do a deeper work, a greater work. I want to be more used of you. I want to have a greater impact, a greater influence. I'm saying to myself, okay, I've only got so many more years, and my attitude is I want to make them the greatest years. I want these to be the most fruitful, the most effective, the most powerful. And the only way it's going to happen is if I'm full of the Spirit. And That's true for you as well. Let's just open our hearts. Lord, could you prepare the soils of our hearts Could you do such a mighty work in this congregation, in our community, that we will have a mighty outpouring of your spirit. We'll have not only a city revival. I pray, Father, that you're gonna use us to impact not only our province and not only our nation, but we're gonna be nation changers. You're gonna do such a work in the lives of these, your children, because they're saying, God, use me. God, use me. God, use me. I pray to that end, Father, that your spirit would come. You'd break up the fallow ground. You'd break up the hardness of our hearts. You would address the things in our life that are impeding the work of your spirit. Lord, you would do a supernatural work in our lives and through our lives. It will change our families. It will change schools and our community. It will change people. The Spirit of God is just going to move through this community, changing the broken lives. There's going to be people set free healings. We're going to see miracles happening, Father, because you want to use ordinary lives who are fully surrendered to you. We thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.